are listening to a sermon from the pulpit of Redeemer Church, a PCA congregation in Hudson, Ohio. For more information, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org. Well, this evening we turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus 2, so please turn there in your Bibles if you have them, if you are looking at a pew Bible. It is page 998, 998. Looking at Titus 2, we'll be looking just at verse 11 this evening. This book is instructions Paul is sending to his apostolic representative who is on the island of Crete. Paul had to leave him there. Paul had other things he had to go on to in ministry. So he left Titus in Crete to serve the people there. And it's a very young church. Uh, it, it, it doesn't have roots very far down deep. And so Paul is instructing Titus, what are those primary things you need to be doing for this brand new church, this young church, or the really churches throughout the island of Crete? And he's encouraging Titus to be faithful in ministry in the context of, of this highly pagan culture. But he's reminding the church in Crete also those things that are important. He laid out order for them, appointing elders and the congregation, building itself up with ministry among the congregation. And now he's turning back to doctrinal concerns this evening. What should be taught? What is of primary importance in the church? Well, let us read Titus 2, just verse 11 this evening. Hear now the word of the Lord. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. Well, the, this first word in our verse is the word for, and it connects us back to what Paul had just been discussing. These encouragements, these instructions for the church, how older women are to, to teach younger women, how, how men are to be godly examples, how the younger men are to grow in self-control, how the ministers are to be an example, especially to the younger men. And all of these instructions are connected now to what comes next. Verses 11 through 14 is the theological rationale for all of that instruction. And so as we go through the next several weeks of unpacking this, we'll be connecting it back as Paul is developing his argument. We, we won't see much of that this evening because we just have a small sliver of it. But all of this is, is grounding, the theological grounding for these commands, this call of the congregation to, to build itself up, to pour into one another's lives, as we've talked about last time. And so these, these four verses, this is a glorious picture of the gospel. He's painting for us the glorious grace of Jesus Christ. He says in this passage this evening, Christ has come and implicitly so trust him for salvation. Christ has come, so trust him for salvation. We're just going to look at this phrase by phrase three uh, in three different chunks. So let's look at these phrases that Paul unfolds for us this evening. First, Paul writes, for the grace of God has appeared. Grace has appeared. Grace is the receipt of something that you don't deserve. And actually something that you did something to not deserve. And there is now grace that has been received. This grace is the only hope of sinners. Grace is not something that you earn. 
Grace is not something that you can achieve or accomplish. Grace is not a quid pro quo. Grace is what God has done for those who have rejected him. Grace means little if you think of yourself as a little sinner. But when we know the true darkness of our sin, even as we discussed a little bit this morning, we will know the true light of grace. It will dazzle on that canvas when the back is dark black. Grace is glorious. There's been here, as Paul mentions, an appearance of grace. Now, grace, this idea is now being anthropomorphized. It is being attributed with human qualities. It's appearing, it's showing up on the scene. And that's because redeeming the redeeming grace of God is not a substance. It's not like an IV that you hook up and now you have a new substance that's coming into your body from the outside. Grace is a person who has done something on our behalf. Come back to that in a moment. This word appearance is the really Greek word epiphany. Epiphany is, is basically the Greek word here. And you may have heard epiphany. Some churches celebrate it as a season of the church calendar. It's a coming. Epiphany is, a, is an appearance, a revealing of something. In the Cretan culture where, where Titus was residing, this epiphany was an important term used in the culture. It was used when the gods would come visit the Cretans, and it was used particularly of the emperor. So this term epiphany had significant cultural meaning for the Cretans. It had the recognition that somebody important was coming. But the Christian epiphany is wildly different from the Cretan epiphany. Because the Cretan epiphany, when the emperor comes, he demands something of you. The Cretan epiphany is law. But the Christian epiphany is gospel. It is something has been done for you. The appearing is something that has occurred for you. The real epiphany has come. Not just your emperor who's now going to come and make demands of you. No, God's grace has come. The true God has appeared. The God who has taken human flesh to himself has come. This is an echo of John 1 that we read earlier. He became flesh and dwelt among us. And so the grace of which Paul speaks is Jesus Christ himself. The grace of God is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus Christ has appeared. The Messiah has appeared. The one who is anointed, indeed, the one who is appointed before the creation of the world, he's appeared to be our surety, our representative, to come on this earth for our salvation. Paul here speaks of the historical reality of Christ. The historical coming of Jesus Christ, which is essential for the Christian. If there's no Christ, there's no Christianity. His historical coming is the bedrock foundation of all that we confess. You confessed the Nicene Creed this morning. It is historical fact after historical fact after historical fact. What we believe is grounded in history. And if there was no Jesus, we all pack our bags and we all go home and we all watch football because none of this matters. Baseball is what we watch. This 
is the God, our Savior, that Paul mentioned in verse 10. He wrapped up the last section talking about God, our Savior, and this is the God, our Savior, who has appeared. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Grace has appeared. Christ has come. The Savior of sinners has made his entrance. This is the grace of God. Sit in it. Enjoy it. Realize your need for it. In other words, enjoy Jesus Christ. We don't often talk about that. Enjoy Jesus Christ. Enjoy the blessed gifts that he gives you. Enjoy your salvation in Christ. Enjoy the forgiveness of your sins. Enjoy new life. Enjoy the hope of everlasting life in the face of a world that has no hope. We can enjoy every gift of salvation. It's interesting, we, we, Redeemer particularly, we talk a lot about the means of grace, the means of grace. But that doesn't mean we get more grace. Sometimes this may be a confusing phrase. We talk about sitting in, under the means of grace, right? It's as if we're, we, when we listen to a sermon or we take the Lord's Supper, we're kind of getting more grace injected into us. But that's not what that phrase means. That's not what we mean when we use it. Because from the first moment we look to Christ by faith, we have the whole Christ. We have all the grace that God has. He has lavished upon us everything in Jesus Christ. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There's no possible way for us to get more of Jesus. We have Jesus completely and wholly as ours. So what does this phrase, means of grace, mean? Well, there's a lot of different ways we could speak of it. But really, this phrase, means of grace, speaks of the means of us understanding the grace that is already ours. It's the means of us subjectively appropriating it, of us understanding and enjoying it and sitting in it. So yes, as we hear God's word, it is a means of grace. It means for us to understand God's grace better. It means for us to even grow in grace and godliness in every single way. So don't think we come to church just to get our, our weekly shot of grace. We get a little bit more every time we come. We have it all in Christ. And we come to hear God proclaim to us week in and week out that you are mine, not because he, we were less his last week, but we so quickly forget. And we need to enjoy these promises of God. And it is these means, particularly preaching and sacraments and, and prayer, where God reminds us of all of the good things he has given us. We can grow in grace sitting under the means of grace. And all of these things drive us not into ourselves, but they drive us to Christ. Christ has appeared. Grace has come. Look to him. He's come for you. Because it's grace, you don't deserve a lick of it. How glorious is that? Grace has appeared. Let's look at the next phrase, the next two words here. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation bringing salvation. This word salvation is a very comprehensive word for you and me. Oftentimes we think of salvation as something that's happened in the past. I was, I was saved, but that's not what this means here. Salvation is an all encompassing term saying, yes, I was, was saved when I looked to Christ and I received justification, but scripture also says I am being saved. It's a process ongoing in our lives. Not that we're becoming more saved throughout our lives, but it's an ongoing process of salvation that's working out in our lives. We're being sanctified, growing in holiness. 
But scripture also talks about a future reality of our salvation. Salvation is past and present, but it's also future where we await that blessed hope. The revealing of the sons of God, as Paul says, where new heavens and new earth will be recreated and we will, our, our dead bodies in the tomb will rise and be reunited with our souls and we will be in the blessed presence of God forever and ever and ever. This is the future salvation of which, that which, of which we await. So from our perspective, it's, it's, a, it's a comprehensive timeline, past, present, and future. But when you think of it from Christ's perspective, what is salvation from Christ's perspective? Christ has given his whole self for and to his people that we would be righteous and washed and purified and adopted as sons of God. And it is also his recreating power to renew all things in the new heavens and the new earth at his second appearing. It is his work, his absolute work that he has done, his incarnation, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his ruling at his father's right hand, and his coming again in glory one day. All of this is the salvation that Christ is accomplishing for us. So he's bringing salvation. This is the salvation that he is accomplishing. He has brought it in his first coming, and we await for the consummation in his next coming. This salvation requires nothing less than the whole God-man. This man who is truly God, but he is truly man in both body and soul. And Paul's point is Christ brings salvation. There's salvation in no one else. Some might ask the question then, well, is Paul saying there's no salvation before Christ? Because that's a, that's a fair objection. Bringing salvation, Christ brought salvation. There's no salvation before Christ. So what do we do with the saints in the Old Testament? But that's not what Paul's saying. The salvation of those before Christ was based upon those people looking to God's promised Messiah who would come. So the saints in the Old Testament were simply looking forward to the Messiah who was to come with all the types and the shadows and the promises that God gave them. He was saying, salvation will certainly be accomplished, so trust in me. That's what God said to the saints of old. So they were saved with the same Christ, the same life, death, resurrection, ascension, and session by which we are saved as well. They simply were looking forward to this Christ in the same way now we look back on that Christ. He brought salvation but they had salvation as well, but it rested in this same Christ. Salvation here. Paul is saying here and all through scripture, salvation is a work of God. Salvation is fundamentally God coming to you. Salvation is not you reaching up to God and happening, happening to grab, upon, grab on to a leg and pulling yourself up. Salvation is God coming to us. While we were dead in our trespasses and sins, God came to us. Jesus brought salvation from heaven. He came to us that we would be saved. Salvation fundamentally is God's work to save us, not something we have done. And so with this simple phrase, bringing salvation, we can rest that salvation has been accomplished. It's finished. You need not add a single thing to your salvation. We don't play this game of, yes, you get in by, by grace, but then you must keep it up by works. 
Your salvation is not contingent upon you. It's contingent upon the one to whom you look, what he has done, what Christ has done for salvation. The whole Christ has been given for you, for your salvation, and rejoice. Give thanks. You're no longer the same. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation. And finally, we look at this last phrase, for all people. For all people. This salvation is offered to all people. And this is not a universalist statement saying all people receive salvation, but he's bringing it to all people. It's a statement that nobody is excluded from the offer of salvation. Or even more, every group of humans will be represented in heaven. We see this in Revelation 7, this beautiful picture. Paul write, or, uh, John writes, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. And this is the key here. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. People from every nation and tribe, every people, every language is before the throne of God in heaven. What a wonderful picture that that is. And so Christ has come not just for the people in Hudson, Ohio, not just for a certain class or group or kind of person. Christ has come for all people. We call this the free offer of the gospel. Nobody is excluded from the call of the gospel. That call to look to him and be saved. We make this offer to all without discrimination. Come to Jesus Christ. You are not too sinful. You are not too far gone. You are not too poor. You are not too wealthy. You are not too arrogant. You are not too different in any way. Come to Christ is what we say. It's radical in the early church that Jews and Gentiles were in the same community. It's radical. It's radical that men and women worshiped at the same time in the same place. It's radical that children were a part of it and slaves were a part of this, this group called the church. Christians, who are these weird people? What are they doing with men and women together and the children and the slaves and everybody? What is this? Because salvation has come for all people. What groups today do you consider too far gone for Christ? Who do you consider not worth proclaiming the gospel to? Certain political groups? People who are involved in certain ethical things? I love the hymn, Come Ye Sinners Poor and Wretched. Um, there's two versions in our new Trinity Psalter hymnal. Uh, 440 um, is, is one of them, and it says this. If you're not familiar with this hymn, this is verse one. It says, Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity joined with power. He is able he is willing, doubt no more. Come ye sinners, that is the free offer of the gospel. Come all of you, 
As Jesus says, come to me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The question is, though, what moves this salvation from simply being out there, bringing salvation, what what moves it from being out there to in here? What makes this salvation personal for you, for me? We go back to Titus 1, chapter 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect. It is this faith that Paul is so intent on nurturing. It is that faith that he is calling people to exercise in Christ. It is faith that is that receiving instrument of the whole Christ, of everything he has, of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It's simply the smallest grain, the mustard seed of faith, receiving and resting upon him as our catechism says. Trust in him. This faith is a muscle that grows as we come back to the means of grace to be refreshed over and over. But it's, and it's a muscle we have to intentionally work at. We intentionally say, Jesus, I trust in you. In the moment, in a hard time, we look to Christ and we say, I trust in you you. If you want to grow your body muscle, what do you do? You go to the gym, you work out, you find a trainer. You want to grow in faith. You come to the streams of God's word and his sacraments where there you see Christ. There he builds you up. There you grow in faith. As we grow in understanding, we also grow in trust in Christ. And so we can rest rest securely in him. But it is even that small mustard seed, that initial faith, we are saved by that. We are saved as God through the smallest amount of faith of looking to Christ truly. That Christ comes in and renovates our lives. He makes us his. Christians need to know God's grace and know their need of that grace. We need to know the grace of God that it has appeared and we must root our entire being in that. And so in very seed form, we see the gospel here. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Are you the ones looking to Christ? Amen, rejoice, grow in your trust. If you are not, the salvation, it's for all people. It's not yours until you look to him in faith. God's grace has appeared. It is Jesus Christ. So let us rejoice in him. Thank you for listening. For more information or to connect with us, visit us at RedeemerOhio.org.